Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Over these last several weeks, I have really enjoyed walking through the words of Jesus on the cross. It has been a lot of fun for me. I don't know that I've ever spent this much time focused on one subject as it, as it pertains to just the cross, but I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Hopefully you have as well, and this just hasn't been for my enjoyment uh, through this. Hopefully you've gained something from this, or you're at least you know entertaining the idea of, of enjoying it. I don't know. So uh, this has been a lot of fun for me. And so let's just do a quick recap over the last six weeks to bring everyone kind of up to speed if you've missed some or maybe you first time or whatever. So we want to bring you up to speed of where we are. So we started several weeks ago now back in March and we started with Luke 23 and and 34, verse 34, it says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? And and that is speaking to our sin that we carry and the sin that we walk with. And, and, And Jesus there on the cross is fulfilling prophecy, actually saying that he would intercede on the behalf of the transgressors, right? He would be intercede for their trans transgressions, right? And so Jesus there on the cross is offering up prayers of our forgiveness, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we talked about the depth of our sin and that we don't fully understand the sinfulness of sin, right? And so we, excuse me, so we worked through that and we talked through that first part. And then we say, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And this is Jesus speaking to the man on the cross next to him, who, who basically, uh, you know, through a lot of what you read, you find that he probably was involved at some point in, in actually hurling insults at Jesus or mocking Jesus from the cross. But then there's a moment of recognition and stating and understanding that, wait a minute, this man is the Messiah. And he says to them, don't you fear God, you know, and he says, Father, he says, remember me uh, when, when you're on the other side. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And this speaks to our salvation, that it's an immediate instantaneous moment. It is a, a sudden shift in that it wasn't that he had to then wait for years and earn that salvation. The man is dying on a cross next to Jesus and Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise, right? And it's that, that, that incredible assurance that in that moment of repentance, that in that moment of calling out to Jesus, we are saved. And then the next week we talked about how Jesus said in John, he said, woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. And we, we just, it reveals uh, his, his relational uh, appreciation, just his love and care for one another. And we talked about how it shows as a church, we are the family, and that we need to, to care for one another, that as the family, as, as the body of Christ, that, that we love one another, we care for one another, that, that Jesus is speaking to the believers as family. He says to his friend, he says to John, he says, take care of my mom. She is now your mom and, and he is now your son, right? And we even said that for what, what is believed that for the next 15 years until Jesus's mother passed away for 15 years, she lived and stayed with John and he cared for her as if she were his mother. It was a pretty cool uh, pretty cool deal. And then Matthew 27 and 46, also Mark 15, 34, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was the week my dad spoke. But, but we see in this moment when, when, when Jesus finally for the first time feels the effect of sin on him. And it's that, that feeling of, oh God, you've just turned on me. And notice, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but notice this, the shift in, in terminology. He doesn't refer to him in this moment as father. 
He refers to him as God, and this reveals his God nature, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But, but we see just this progression of Jesus walking through all of this, and then in John 19 and 28, it says, I thirst. And we talked about how this reveals his humanity to us, that in our hardest moments, in our worst moments, in our lowest moments, Jesus even reveals that it's okay to thirst. It's okay to have need. Even Jesus himself felt the need in the moment. Jesus himself felt the hurt and the pain and he was parched and he said, I I thirst. He said, "I, I need something. And Jesus gives us the permission to feel that. And then last week in John 19, verse 30, it says, it is finished. We talked about how Jesus then in that moment had fulfilled all that scripture and prophecy had said he would be, that he had fulfilled his full obedience unto death on the cross, uh, that he had promised God the Father he would do in that moment. He had finished all the work necessary for our salvation. He had defeated sin. He had taken it to the cross. It's this moment where he says, I have done it all. Everything is completed. Everything is finished. Everything is wrapped up to the point to where we are this week in the last phrase that we find on the cross. And, and, and Jesus says in Luke 23, 46, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And it's that moment and it says, and then he breathed his last. And he breathed his last. There's some, some incredible similarity, similarities that we find from the first phrase to the last phrase. And I mentioned that, that he shifts his, his, his verbiage from father to God, now back to father. See, in the beginning, he cries out, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then we get to the moment where he then feels as if he's been forsaken. He says, my God, my God. He doesn't say, father, father, why have you forsaken me? But he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that reveals to him that while, yes, he is his father, but it reveals his God nature. And as, as God, he had, he had to turn from the sin that his son was then carrying. And he feels this separation. And Jesus understanding fully that it wasn't his fatherhood in that moment that was turning from him, but it was the nature of God that was then turning from him. And we find him now at the end of all of this crying out to his father and he says father and it says with a loud voice so this isn't a whisper or a moment of just barely eking the words out but this is a moment of 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 great breath and a loud cry it says with a loud voice he cries father into your hands i commit my spirit into your hands i commit my spirit I know as a, as a father, this would have to be a difficult moment to watch your child be in pain, to watch your child be hurting, to watch your child suffering and needing something, right? And I think about my own children, when, when they get hurt, uh, you, you know, a lot of times they want to just simply be picked up. They want to be held. And they're nine and seven years old, but they're still like hanging on to that last little bit of, no, I'm still a child. I'm still a child. Please love me, daddy. Love me. And I'm like, yes, no, I will. I'll take care of you. Right? But it's, I almost feel as if Jesus is kind of in that moment. And he's saying, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Let me rest in your hands. Let me be in your hands. And it's this recognition of, of understanding that I want to be with my father. I want to be with my father. You know, when my, when my kids get hurt, a lot of times the greatest cure for them is to just simply be picked up or to be held or to be hugged, right? 
And we see Jesus in this moment saying, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The word father is the Greek word uh, pater, which is the Greek translation of the Aramaic word Abba. And if you know anything about the word Abba, Abba would be essentially the equivalent of the word daddy. Uh, essentially, it's the equivalent of a, uh, a small child, in a sense, looking up to their father and saying, Daddy, Daddy. And so Jesus is crying out, and he says, Father. He's saying, Dad, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that, I think, changes our understanding of the moment, right? I think that changes and shifts it from being this, this you know, God figure in Jesus speaking to God the Father, but it's a son and a father in this moment. Yes, deity, all the same. There's no removal of their God character or nature in this moment. But, but it, I think it shifts our understanding of the moment when we see Jesus recognizing the Father as dad. And he's using the word as such. And he's saying... I want my spirit to be in your hands. I want to be in your hands. This was what he, what he, what he prayed in that moment, what he stated in that moment would actually be a, a, was a, a children's bedtime prayer in the Jewish culture, which is kind of crazy. Uh, it was like they would say this at night before they go to bed. They would say, you know, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's that, that kind of that, that childlike faith in that moment saying that if I were to die tonight, my spirit is in your hands. And Jesus in this moment is declaring it into your hands. I commit my spirit. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. There's three things that I want to point, point out and pull from this text today as we work through it. And, and that is one, uh, Jesus died with the word of God on his lips. He died confidently and willingly. And so the first thing I want to talk about is that Jesus died with the word of God on his lips. He died with the word of God on his lips. Jesus, in, in, well, in John 1, 1, and it says this, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus himself is, in fact, the incarnate word of God. We see him living and walking as the breathing, living word of God. So Jesus is the word of God. So as he speaks, as he walks, of course, all things that he says essentially are, are equal to scripture, right? So even if they weren't written in the word of God, if Jesus said it, it would be, it would carry the same weight because he is the word of God. Now we know that not everything Jesus said is recorded in scripture. That would have been a very quiet life, right? Because there's not a whole lot written apart from, I mean, we have a substantial amount, but to think about how much I talk in a day, and that's not substantial, um, you know, I, I'm fully aware. I am a talker and I'm aware of it. So, you know, if you ever feel the need to just slowly back away, like, cool, just go for it. You won't offend me. No, it's good. Uh, but, but just understanding that it's not everything he said, but Jesus being the very word of God, his words would be equal to or carry the same weight as scripture. And yet we find himself at the end of his life, breathing out his last, he reaches back into the Old Testament and he reaches to the words of, of the psalmist. And he says, and he quotes Psalm 31, verse 5. It says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God, is the whole verse there. Now, we know that Jesus added the word father because there's a slightly different context there in that moment, right? This is a son to a father speaking yet to the same God. And he's saying, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I just find it interesting and, and, and intriguing that Jesus the last words we have recorded of him speaking, the last words he stated, because then it says, and he breathed his last, meaning then he died. The last 
words he had on his lips were, in fact, the word of God. He quoted scripture at the end of it all. The very last words he spoke were the word of God. I think that should be challenging to us in a sense to say that, that at the end of it all, because he was so full of the word, because he was the word, all that could come out at the end of his life was an overflow and an outpouring of the word of God. It was so in him that all that could come out at the end was the word of God. I mean, Jesus is obviously an example to try to emulate and try to be like, you know, and you go, well, but he was the word. uh, So it's going to be hard for me to try to be on that level. Absolutely. Right. We will never obtain the level of Jesus in knowing the word of God. I would, I would say that that's probably a fair estimate that to go, you know what? I probably won't know the word of God like Jesus. I'm just, you know, tough comparison. You know, I feel like I do okay, but at some level I just won't ever get there. Right. That's fair. But it gives us something to strive for and to try to be like. For us, it takes work. It requires the action of of studying the word and knowing the word, spending time in the word, right? It's more than just a Sunday morning hearing and a Sunday morning experience. It's saying, I am going to take time. I'm going to open the word of God. I'm going to read. I'm going to try to to take in. I'm going to try to, to swallow all that I can, so to speak, right? This will be my daily bread, right? That's the thing about daily bread is that if you have a slice of bread on Sunday and you get to Saturday, Saturday and you haven't eaten anything, man, you're in bad shape. You go, whoo, it's another week of fasting, right? And we do that sometimes spiritually where we come in on Sundays and we take in a little bit of bread and we get to the end of the week and we go, man, I am spiritually famished. It's because we haven't been taking in the word of God every single day. We haven't been taking in the word of God as our daily bread. And Jesus is our daily bread. He is the word of God, right? And if we're going to draw close to him, if we're going to try to emulate Christ, we need to be like him that at our, our, our dying last breath that we're speaking comes out the word of God. To be so full of the word of God. Have you ever had a box of chocolates? Yeah. A guys, a lot of guys are like, I mean, I buy them every February 14th at the last minute and hand them over at, you know, 6.30 in the evening and go, yeah, I didn't forget about you. That's how, you know, all the guys are quiet because they're like, stop, man, you're calling me out. I'm like, dude, I'm right there with you. Don't worry about it. No, box of chocolates are kind of scary. Uh, sometimes, you know, you hope you open it up and you see one and you go, that's the one I want, right? Like, that's going to be a good one. I can't wait. I'm going to try that one. Cause you think, oh, this is going to be the good stuff, right? You're going to bite into it and it is going to be the most amazing, like, like caramel or something. I don't know what your favorite is, but, but we'll just say for me, like if I bite into it, it's caramel. I'm like, yeah, I got the good one. I hit the jackpot. This is so good. You, you expect it to be full of that, right? To eat it and you go, ah, it was just so wonderful. It was like sweet tasting. It was excellent. But then you keep going along and you get that nasty cherry one. And you're like, that is not what I was expecting to get in the least bit. And I need to go brush my teeth. This is disgusting, right? And you pull one of these like... Because you, you don't want anybody to see you spitting it out, right? So you try to like cover it. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> You know, and it's like this moment of, of disappointment, right? I wonder if sometimes if the world views Christianity in that way where they come across somebody who's like, oh, I'm a Christian, and they bite into it, and it's not full of what they were expecting. And I think sometimes that stems from the lack of the word of God in us, where they go, man, I, they said they're a Christian, but I, 
they are full of anger. Uh, they say they're a Christian, but they're, they're full of, of, of greed. They say they're a Christian, but, but man, they're full of deceit. They're, they say they're a Christian, but man, they're living out like a life of debauchery. Like what in the world? Like debauchery is always a great word because it's just like, like, like horrible sinfulness. And you're like, whoa, man, that's not good. Right? Anyways, I just like using it. It's in the Bible. So I'm like, scripture, right? Thanks for laughing with me. Just kidding. <laughs> no, but you see, see, what happens is when we're not full of the word of God, we don't taste like the world expects us to taste. It almost becomes off-putting, right? Where they bite in and they go, that was not the sweetness I was anticipating. That was not the flavor I was hoping. Because if, if we claim to be like Christ or striving to be like Christ, we should taste like the word of God. We should live a life that reflects the word of God, that looks like the word of God, that, that has love and compassion for other people, that it looks like Jesus. See, Jesus dying on the cross, his last words, because he was so full of the word, was the word of God. It was the word of God. It wasn't, it wasn't anything new that he developed or created in the moment. He reached back to Old Testament Psalms and, and, and pulled that out and said, this is the word of God and this is what I'm speaking in this moment to reveal to us a lot of things. But he's revealing in the moment that we need to be full of the word of God. I would say this, there's no sweeter way to end our time on earth than to speak the word of God and to speak the word of God. For me, I hope that, that the last thing I say is something straight out of the word of God. I don't even know what it's going to be, right? I don't know what it's going to be yet. Hopefully I get to the point where I go, this is what I want to say before I die. But I want it to be the word of God. How cool of a moment would that be? How great of a legacy would it be to say his last words were the word of God? The last thing he spoke was, man, I look at that and I go, I want to be like Jesus in that way. I want to be like Jesus in a lot of ways. But if there's anything I could do, if, if there's any way that I could set it up that when I am at the end of my life that I could speak the word of God, I think that would be the most incredible way to go. I mean, think about what a legacy that would be for my children or what a legacy that would be even for my grandchildren. What a legacy that would be for those around me who would say, you know, he claimed to be a man of God and he lived out the life as a man of God. He claimed to be a man of God and he spoke as a man of God, right? To me, I just think, man, that is such an incredible thing. And as believers, that should be our goal and our motivation in life to be like Christ. And what an incredible way to do it than to be full of the word of God. The second thing is this, he died willingly. He died willingly. So Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He didn't say, you know, into your hands, they take my spirit from me and place it in your hands, right? He didn't say that. He didn't say these crazy savages grabbed me and threw me on this cross and I have no choice but to give up myself to you. No, he didn't say anything of that nature. He said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He's willingly laying down his life. Jesus could have easily shown his power and authority. At any moment, he could have, in fact, saved himself. Just as they were crying out, you know, save yourself. If you are the king of the Jews, if you are the Messiah, then save yourself. At any moment, he could have had the angels come and attend to him like he did in the wilderness after fasting where they came and they took care of him and they, you know, they, they helped him nurse him. But he could have at any moment, he had the authority to do so. At any moment, he could have said, I have had enough. This is it. I'm not going any further for these people. They're all sinners anyways, right? He could have at any moment just said, forget it. I'm done. I don't want to do this. And yet he didn't. He willingly chooses to stay on the cross. He says, I commit my spirit 
I'm giving it over. In John 10, 17 and 18, it says this. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. No one was able to take the life of Jesus. No one was able to come and to say, that's it, I'm done with you, that's, you know, and, and just remove it from him. It was only by the willingness of Jesus to die. It was only through the willingness of Jesus to go to the cross. At any moment, he could have spoke. Think about it. While on trial, while facing, while facing Pilate, he, he could have at any moment stated anything he wanted, and Pilate would have been like, no, I'm not killing this man. In fact, Pilate himself said, I have found no fault in this man. What do you want me to do? And then the crowd yells, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. He said, well, then what do I do with this? And they say, crucify him. You know, we go through that whole process. But at any moment, Jesus could have spoke up and said, dude, here's the real deal. And he could have performed a miracle right there in front of Pilate. He could do whatever he wanted to do in that moment to reveal himself as the Messiah. And Pilate would have said, I want nothing to do with this. Uh, I, you, know, you know, he's the real, I'm not doing that, right? At any moment, he could have said, I'm not going to die this way. But he, he never did. He just continues. And he willingly, willingly laid down his life. While we were still sinners, Christ willingly put himself on the cross. Taking on the sin of the world and carrying it with him unto death so that you and I might find life. So that we might have life. I think when we think of the cross in, these, in this perspective, when we think of the cross in these terms, it changes our outlook on the cross. That no longer was it the narrative of, of the, the Roman guards grabbing Jesus and, and carrying him and throwing him on the cross. And yes, those things probably physically did happen in that way. It probably did happen in those terms. But when we think of it in the terms that Jesus was allowing it, Jesus was willingly laying down his life, I think it changes our understanding of the sacrifice of Jesus for you and I. It changes our understanding and our perception of what it was that Jesus did for us. And that is, he didn't just subject himself to pain, but he willingly gave up himself to death on a cross, to taking on sin. He who had not known sin takes on our sin and lays down his life for us. Lauren and I, when we moved to Dallas, we bought a house with the understanding that it would need some work and it would need some fixing up. And, and I've shared some of those stories. But my brother-in-law and I, in, in kind of our first week in a house working on it, we, Lauren and I decided what we, one of the things we needed to do is we had to take out a wall uh, to move a door and just make a, a larger bedroom kind of thing, right? So we were in the process of doing that, and, and we knew it wasn't load-bearing. We knew it wasn't structural. It wasn't, all of that was safe. All of that was really good. And we go in there, and we start tearing this wall out, and it was going, and we were doing wonderful. And, and we get to where all of the sheetrock is off, and we realize something quite quickly, that all of the electrical for that entire wall came down through that wall first. So everything past that wall, past the, uh, that room, was powered through that wall. So all of that electrical came down under the house and then all of the plugs, all of the switches, everything else down the rest of that hallway, was, it was all in this wall. And now, I'm not an electrician. 
Maybe you are aware of that. Maybe you go, oh yeah, he's, he's not, he's a pastor. Yeah. So he's not, yeah, I'm not an electrician. I can do some things. I can change a light fixture. I can change a light bulb, right? You know, I can do that. Uh, you know, there's some of those things that I can do. I, I can do some basic wiring. I have changed out some, some switches and plugs. I've shocked myself a million times in the process. I have learned that electricity does not feel great going through your body. Like it is just a really, it's not good, right? So I've learned those things, you know, so that's about the extent of my electrical knowledge. You've heard it all. So we get to these wires that are just hanging and they're coming through. And, and I had watched a YouTube video, which isn't always the best way to learn how to do demolition, killed all the power. And I snipped the wires and then realized Maybe I shouldn't have snipped those wires because now we don't know what goes to what and what's going where and all this kind of stuff. So I found myself in a bit of an electrical conundrum, right? Uh, and, and so I'm at this point where, okay, we've cleaned all that up. All of the two by fours are out. Everything is getting ready for, you know, we're about to patch up the sheetrock and everything. And here's these wires still cut in the middle, disconnected, running to who knows where to power the rest of that side of the house. And, and I, we've got nothing. And we're supposed to move in in like two weeks at this point. It's hard to move in if you don't have power in, you know, bedrooms and, you know, bathrooms and whatnot. So, so we, uh, I'm, I'm stuck in this, in this predicament, not knowing what to do. And, and then this guy by the name of Alan, Alan is a retired master electrician who willingly gave up three days of his time for nothing. Didn't charge me a dime. Didn't charge me a single penny. In fact, went and bought things. And it didn't, I mean, just absolutely took care of us. It was incredible what he did. Literally gave me three days. And not only did he fix that problem, he found it, rerouted it. We put it in another spot. We put all this, I mean, did everything. It was incredible. Got everything working. He did that in the first four hours. And then he turned to me and said, what else you got? The man began, my home was built in 1954. So he begins working through my whole house and trying to fix any and every electrical issue throughout the entire house. For three days, this man willingly gave up all of his time to fix a problem that I could never touch or fix, could never tackle it. Never asked for anything in return. In fact, by the end, his wife was bringing baked goods with him. I'm not making this up. Like she's making us, he's like, like we gained weight while watching Alan do all this work. It was amazing what was happening. I was like, this is incredible. But it was all this willingness. They did it out of their own willingness. And it was overwhelming. And we were so thankful. Jesus did the same thing for you and I on a much larger scale. We had a problem called sin. And sin caused this separation and this divide. I think by now I've said that about a million times through this series. But, but sin caused a problem that, that, that we couldn't fix. We had no solution and no cure or, or no remedy for the problem we were facing. And Jesus said, I can fix it. I can willingly give up myself to take care of the problem. Jesus died willingly. He wasn't forced into it. He willingly gave up himself. The third thing is this. He died confidently. He died confidently. I'm going to make mention of this real fast. I know that a lot of you were probably anticipating a live painting taking place today. And you're going, where? They emailed that. Is this like a bait and switch? Yes, exactly what it was. We were just trying, no. Uh, 
The man came on Thursday. His name is Mike Ramirez. He's a good dude. He came on Thursday and set up a lot of his stuff, was ready, flew up to New York to do a women's conference, and yesterday's weather canceled every flight out of New York into Dallas. He's stuck in New York right now. He doesn't get to fly out until 2 o'clock today, so he's just going to miss it. Um, So in case you were wondering, that was supposed to be taking place right now, also during our message, but I wanted to make sure you were aware of what happened, that we weren't just trying to pull a fast one on you. Uh, There's canvases sitting over here. He's got a whole lot of t-shirts that are packed up into another room right now. Just one of those crazy things that just you can't control at times, right? And it just kind of happens. And you go, I told him, I said, you know what? God's in control. He knows what we needed in this service today. And, uh, there will be another time and an opportunity for you to come back and, and do your incredible, use your giftings here. So in case you were wondering, wait, didn't they say? We did. The weather didn't allow it. So I just wanted to throw that out there. The third thing is he died confidently. We talked last week that Jesus finished everything that was set before him. Everything that the word said he would do, he did. Everything that the, the prophets wrote about were, were fulfilled. All of the scriptures and the writings, everything was done. Everything was finished. Here we have Jesus breathing out his last and giving his final statement. And the Bible tells us this wasn't a quiet statement, right? He cried with a loud voice. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This isn't a moment of, of weakness, right? This isn't a moment of I'm just barely eking out words, but he musters all that he has left, everything within him, and he cries this out. And in fact, the, the repercussions beyond that statement we're not even getting into today, but just the, the, the ground shaking, the earthquake that happens, and then the veil being torn, which just signifies just an openness for us to enter into the presence of God freely. And even the Roman centurion then having the recognition and the understanding that this is a righteous man. This is the son of God, right? And there's so much that comes from this moment. And I think a lot of that stems out of the fact that Jesus spoke it with such confidence, that Jesus spoke it with such authority in the moment and saying, I commit my spirit into your hands. And he says it without a whisper or a hint of a whisper in his voice. He loudly proclaims it. says, with a loud cry. With a loud cry. To me, it's remarkable that at the very end, he says this, it says it so loud. I think some of it had to probably stem from a thought of excitement as well. That I'm going to be with my father. I'm going to be with my father. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I, I think it's such a cool moment to say, Here I am in this moment. I am hurting. This is, I, he's already made recognition to the fact that he's, he's thirsting, right? That, that there, there is real pain. He feels it in his human nature. The humanity in him is suffering. But his spirit is, 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 is confident in this moment that he is going to be with his father confident in this moment, saying, Father, in your, into your hands I commit my spirit. I, I love hearing conversations sometimes of young kids when they start talking about their dads. Well, my dad can beat up your dad. Uh-uh. My dad can beat up your dad. And all the dads are going, what are we mad at each other about? Why are we about to fight? I don't know. I heard one time I was in, I was in youth ministry. This is a true story. Youth ministry, mind you. So these kids are junior high at this point. And it's like, y'all haven't grown out of this yet. Stop playing video games. Let's mature a little bit. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to get on that kick right now. No, so, th- so they're arguing. And I walked past and one kid was like, my dad can bench press 300 pounds. 
And I'm thinking, I know your dad. <laughs> no, he can't. Kept my mouth shut. And the other kid goes, that ain't nothing. My dad can bench press 450 pounds. And I was thinking, I know you're lying. I don't even know your dad, right? <laughs> then I met his dad. He legitimately could bench press 450 pounds. I went and worked out with him one time. He's like, dude, you need to come do this German volume training with me. And I was like, that sounds scary. Let's go for it, right? And it was. It was scary. It was bad. But I was like, I was thinking, this kid's making up stuff. What are you talking about? And then I met his dad. And he was like, well, I can now. I used to get 505. And I was like, I believe it. Dude was a monster. He was, he was a minor league baseball player, never made it to the pros, but he's just a huge specimen of a human being. And I was thinking, this is the first time when I heard a conversation between two kids talking about their dads that one of them was legitimately serious. And I wanted to be like, his dad could beat up your dad. Like this. And it just be done. But it's that confidence in his father, right? He was like, not even worried about you. And I was thinking, one kid's lying, you know, way too high. The other kid may have undershot it. And his dad was bigger, right? You know, and it's like, this is that confidence that a child has in their father, right? Like, my dad can do anything. My dad has the ability to save the world, right? Everybody, you know, it's like that, that child's impression of their father is he is Superman. He's the strongest guy they've ever met. My kids right now think I am super strong and I love it because Someday they're going to grow up and realize, man, dad's average, right? It's just going to be that, that, that real understanding, and their confidence in me may diminish slightly, and that's okay. But we have a father in heaven who we can be fully confident in, knowing that he has the victory, right? That we put our trust in him. So Jesus on the cross in that moment is speaking with confidence saying, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit because I know that when I place it there, I can be confident and know that my soul is secure in your hands, that there is nothing that can rip it from your hands, that that I am forever and fully and completely in your grasp. There's a confidence that Jesus is speaking with. It's like a child seeing his father. Like, oh man, you think your dad's great. Wait until you meet my father. Just an overwhelmingly cool moment when you stop and you think about just the goodness of the father. I know that there are those who don't have the same understanding of God as the father as being a good father. I know that maybe your your frame of reference growing up has skewed your perception of a father figure. Maybe you and I didn't have the same upbringing. Maybe you don't view your father the same way I view my father. Maybe you didn't have a good father. And that can alter and that can change your perception of God as the father. And trying to find and reach for and, and say, okay, I've never seen a good father. I, ha- I have a brother-in-law who, who had to work through some incredibly deep stuff to deal with, with the understanding of God as the father. To the point now to where he is so madly in love with God as his father that it's, it's the coolest thing in the world. He, he leads worship from time to time. And if you ever hear him sing the song, Good, Good Father, it's like a weep fest. It's awesome. It's like he's just knowing his understanding of this is the only good father I've ever known, right? And you just see, and, and I know that, that there are, can be difficulty at time in recognizing God as a good father. 
because your understanding of a good father is non-existent. Let me encourage you in this today. God the Father will never fail you. He'll never let you down. He he, he won't won't shun you or push you aside. There'll be moments where maybe you feel distant or moments where maybe you feel as if it's harder, it's a difficult season, but we have seasons. There's ups and downs, there's valleys and hills and, and we go through things and we walk through things, but God is a good father. You can trust him and you can step into that with confidence. You can step into that with confidence. Just as Jesus died with confidence saying, oh, I know where I'm going. I know where my spirit is. I know my spirit's in the hands of my father. We can say those very same things. We can say those very same things. And when we place our soul in the hands of a father, we can speak it with confidence. With confidence. I invite the worship team. There's this, this kind of a, a weird, or not weird, but just kind of this, this thought in, in this world that, that we're all God's children. And to an extent, yes, we are all God's children. But for some, there's this separation and this, this, this outside of the family kind of relationship. And, and here's what I mean by that is that, yes, when, when we come into relationship with the Father, we are then God's children. It says that, that we are adopted into the family, right? We're adopted into the family. Meaning that, that prior to our moment of acceptance of Christ, that, that we, we aren't fully integrated into the family, right? We're not a part of the family because otherwise there would be no need for adoption, right? You're not gonna, I'm not going to go and adopt my own children. They're already my children. I have no need to adopt them. I don't need to pull them in and say, okay, now you are mine. They were already mine, right? And so what we see is in, in our world and in our lives that, that born into this world, Jesus, he died for us. So God wants us to be his children, right? He said, oh, come, come, come sit at the table. Come be a part of my family. Come be an heir and co-heir with Christ. Come be an heir uh, into this family. Come be a part of this family. And we see that a lot of times we, we just go, well, I'm, you know, but, but God loves everybody. And, and oh, yes, he does love every person. He loves every soul. But, but he, it's that marriage between our soul and his soul and that union and that, that connection between the two that brings us together in that adoption relationship. And I know that sometimes we, we go, I, I just want to be okay with where I'm at. And, and if you'll just please just back off and not try to push any idea or belief on me, that'd be great. But the reality is there needs to be that adoption and that merger and that, that, that bringing into the family. It makes me think of, of, of Mephibosheth in, 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 the, in David's kingdom. And Mephibosheth was, was a part of the, the previous king's family. And in this whole ordeal and this crazy thing that took place, Saul is dead. And in a moment, the nanny in a hurry picks up Mephibosheth, this, this child, and goes to run and drops him. And he's broken from then forward. And he can't walk. His feet don't work right. He struggles. And David says, is there anyone left in his family? Is there anyone left that I can show kindness to? 
I can only imagine what the search would have looked like. I can only imagine what the, what the process was to try to find this hidden child who's now grown at this point, who is it's some, some form of an adult at some age in adulthood. And I can only imagine what the, the search was like because he had been in hiding forever. He'd been in hiding his entire life. They're trying to conceal him because of the fear that, that David was going to kill him. It would have been customary for the new king to come in and wipe out the entire family of the previous king so that no one could claim, you know, claim the throne in any way, shape, or form. And here's Mephibosheth, broken and hiding. And David said, is there anyone left that I can show kindness to? And somebody says, there's one. There's one. His name is Mephibosheth. He's broken. And he's outcast. The Bible says that where he lived was essentially, it was this, this wilderness area that is basically, sum it up, it just means that it was nowhere. Nothingness is where he was at. And he brings him in. And it's such an incredible picture of of what God does for us and he brings him Mephibosheth and he says essentially this he says you are now a part of my family you now have a seat at my table you have a seat at my table and this person who thought forever and ever that if I ever come face to face with the king it's over for me I'm dead. I'm gone. And I've already had a terrible life. I'm broken and, and, and I, can't, I can't get around on my own. I need the help of other people to just live life. And David said, from now on, you live in my kingdom. You sit at my table. You are a part of my family. And I think about what Jesus did for us. And we were broken when we were outcasts, we were living in nothingness, living in nowhere, distant and separated. And Jesus goes to the cross and he says, I have made a way for you to come and sit at my table. I have made a way for you to come and eat with my father. And he bridges that gap. And he said, no longer are you separated. No longer are you an outcast. No longer are you, no longer are you just not a part of, of, of our family, but now you are brought in, you are adopted. You are a son and a daughter of the most high king. You're a son and a daughter of the most high king. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. That on this Palm Sunday, where so many cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, as you came down, Lord, as you rode on the donkey, and they were throwing their coats down, and they were throwing the palm branches down, creating a path, creating a way for you, because they believed you were coming to save them from the Roman world, to save them from the government they were under, to overthrow it. Lord, and they'd misunderstood who you were. You weren't concerned in the moment with the government they were under. Lord, you were focused on their soul. And they didn't understand it. 
on this Palm Sunday, Lord, as we stop and we say, uh, this is the beginning of the week that leads to Good Friday, which leads to your resurrection. We stop and we say thank you that we were brought to the table, that we were adopted, that we were a part of your family now. No longer are we separated, but we are made a part of your family. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.